The term comfort zone was originated, coined in 1991. This is what people think. Um, in a book called Danger in the Comfort Zone by Judith Bardwick. So your comfort zone, here's how it's defined. Comfort zone is a behavioral state within a person operates in an anxiety-neutral condition using a limited set of behaviors to deliver a steady level of performance, usually without a sense of risk. All right, so the comfort zone, place where you operate, anxiety-neutral, safe, at ease, in control, Limited set of behaviors deliver a steady, predictable level of performance, usually without a sense of risk. And actually, in 1907, there were two scientists that did a study, uh, Robert Yerkes and John Dodson, that showed that the greater anxiety that you have, to some degree, you have higher level of performance. In other words, if you actually do something outside your comfort zone, the anxiety that it produced, because that's what happens when you go out of your comfort zone, a level of anxiety that's produced, you actually increase your level of performance. Now, too much anxiety will kill your level of performance, but their study, and they did it on mice, but, they, but it's been kind of a foundation of other people's understanding in psychology. Their study is that the, a little bit of anxiety, more than you're used to, can actually increase your performance. So the idea of the comfort zone, now what they also, a lot of literature talks about too, the red circle outside, when you go out of your comfort zone, some people call it the fear zone. I like what others call it, they call it the panic zone. It's like when you get out of your comfort zone, something in you fear, uh, anxiety, and all the emotions that come with risk, um, I like to ask, when I, when I teach classes at IU, one of the questions I ask, just for a get-to-know-you question, I ask students if they've ever bungee jumped. How many people have bungee jumped here? All right. Low-risk group here, right? But then if I were to ask you, but then if I were to ask you, I'm like, how many of you would bungee jump? If somebody paid for it and it was right over there, would you do it? Most of us would say, it's kind of outside of my comfort zone, right? Because there's a degree of risk and fear and anxiety that's different from our normal state of behaviors, um, and we don't like it, all right? So the, green, the red is the panic zone. The green is the learning zone. So the assumption is if you're willing to go outside of your comfort zone into the fear, again, I like it, panic zone, where something in you feels really off, like a bungee jumping or whatever else you might do, something, then you learn. Now, granted, sermon is not about bungee jumping, but it's about the comfort zone that we all have. The comfort zone in this particular passage in Acts 10 that a man named Cornelius had and a man named Peter had, and God asked both of them to step outside of that comfort zone into the panic zone and see growth and change in their lives. All right. So I've done this series the last couple weeks um, called This is Who We Are. started with the Sunday, you know, but the idea is that we are the people of Pentecost. So whether it's, you know, um, Peter, whether it's Ananias, the good Ananias, whether it's others, uh, Philip, Stephen, uh, the way that God interacted with them is not different from the way God wants to interact with us. Um, there is a just just so you know, there's a there's a strain of there's a strain of theology that I think is kind of dying out, but it used to be called, um, it's called dispensationalism. But the idea is, 
they use the term cessationist. The idea is all the things that happened supernaturally in the book of Acts have ceased. And now we just have to figure out life without that. As if God were to say, look at all the things I did in the book of Acts with the Holy Spirit, but you don't get that power. You just have to figure it out on your own, which it seems kind of, but there, it's, it's, a, it's a poor interpretation of Scripture because these things haven't ceased. The way that God works, the way that God pushes us outside of our comfort zone hasn't ceased, and the supernatural realities of it haven't ceased. So we're going to look at uh, a man named Cornelius, and we're going to look at Peter, who we're somewhat familiar with. So I'm just going to look at the different passages. I'm going to read through a good part of Acts 10. And again, I want you to, uh, it's a good, I, I've done more and more of this. That's more of a habit now. When you read Scripture, especially the narrative stories, put yourself in this story. Kind of see what they see, feel what they feel, and let the story kind of be a story and not just a quick text to read through, all right? So we're going to start with this one. Go to the first slide. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man. I'm just going to start there, explain a few things, and I'll read the, continue the passage. Caesarea is a town on the coast of Israel. Um, the Romans, if you remember, were, were, had, were occupying Israel. That's why he was there. It's like when Germany occupied other countries, the Romans were occupying Israel. Cornelius uh, was an officer... He oversaw a, a regiment of about 100 people. So he was Roman. He wasn't Jewish. If he grew up Roman, then he grew up in a very polytheist, many gods environment, had no sense of the God of Israel. Um, that was his background. But he's living in Israel. He's around Jewish people. And then this last line, which if, if you let it, it kind of throws you a little bit. He's a devout, God-fearing man. Wait a minute, he's not one of us. He's not one of our group. So right now you might be a little cognitively outside of a comfort zone, as I am when I read these passages. Wait a minute, this guy's, he's a Roman, he's a pagan, he's a Gentile. What does it mean that he's God-fearing and devout? And we're going to see that here. So let me, so that's, that's the character number one is, is Cornelius. Let me finish the passage. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as with everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. The word terror means what it is. It's, it was, he was like terrorized. He saw something. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa. Joppa is about 40 miles away, maybe like here to Indy, here to Greenwood. Send some men to Joppa. Summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened, and he sent them to Joppa, all right? Now, I'm going to stick on this for a second, this God-fearing, because later in the book of Acts, in Antioch, Paul's addressing people, again, it was not, they were not Jewish people, but he, re, he refers to some of them of God-fearing people. And then in the book of Acts chapter 17 in Thessalonica, Paul says Paul's addressing some God-fearing Gentiles, 
Athens chapter 17, there's some more God-fearing Gentiles. So, question. Are there people outside of the household of the Christian church that are God-fearing and that have God's attention? And I'm saying that because I want to I ruffle your feathers a little bit because it's good for us to have our feathers ruffled. So think of if you've been in other countries, whether it was China or India or other countries where the Christian religion following Christ is not the norm at all, is it possible that there are God-fearing Hindus, God-fearing Muslims? What do you do with that? Now, what's interesting, that term appears a number of times in Acts. So it's, there's a sense that somehow they have gotten God's attention in spite of their religion, right? Cornelius wasn't getting God's attention because Cornelius came from a polytheistic, weird Roman religious background. He was getting God's attention because something in him was interacting with the true God, and maybe he didn't know it. I'm only saying that because the other conclusion, the only other conclusion we have is bummer for everybody else in the world that was born in a non-Christian nation. And I'm not saying, the Bible's not saying that, that other religions are the same way to God. What the Bible is saying is even those who are in other religions can still find God. And we'll see in a second they can find God, but only through Jesus. Who are of a different religion, but maybe, maybe, maybe God would refer to them as God-fearing people and devout to God, not devout to their own religion. So I'm only saying that because that throws me out of my comfort zone a little bit. But it, again... There's only one way to heaven, and it's Jesus. But I've said this before. I think I stole it from somebody else. There's only one way to God. It's through Jesus. There's many ways to Jesus. Jesus is very creative in how he communicates with people. All right? So let's just start right there with Cornelius, a God-fearing man, has this vision. He's gotten God's attention. An angel says, send for Peter. He's in Joppa 40 miles away. All right? He sends people to go to Peter 40 miles. It sounds like they, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They were at Peter's house the next day at noon, so they must have walked a pretty good clip to get 40 miles in that amount of time, but it probably had a sense of urgency, all right? So now we're going to go to Joppa. Now Peter shows up. And I'll start with this. Go to the next. This is the primary thing Peter said in this passage, no, Lord. So I'm saying that because Cornelius sent for him, and I'm going to read the passage around this. But I want you to think of all the times people in the Bible, there are many that said no first response to God. Even a few chapters ago, Ananias said, no, Lord, I'm not going to go to this guy named Saul. Old Testament, Jonah says, no, Lord, I'm not going to Nineveh. So, and there's others who, who their initial response was no. In their conversation with God, they shifted to Yes. And I'm saying that because maybe right now there's something you're saying no to God about. Or at least from what you understand, God's asking you something and you're saying no or you're at least saying not now. Maybe in your continuing conversation with God, something will change. But don't stick in your no, especially if you know that it's God. All right. So let's just let's read the context of this. All right. So it says the next day. So it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Vision, Cornelius gets his servants, a soldier, go to Joppa, 40 miles away. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. 
He was hungry. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Don't know exactly what that, that meant in a sense, but there was some way where he had a sense of hearing from God in a unique way. And again, his experience is not different than what ours experience can be. It's, it's a unique situation. It's maybe rare, but it's not impossible that God may speak to some of us this way. Right? He was in a trance. He saw the sky open. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And I'll just say, too, the animals, reptiles, and birds he saw were animals, reptiles, and birds that God, through the Old Testament, said the Jewish people should not eat these kind of animals. And maybe there was health reasons. We don't fully understand God's reason, but they weren't supposed to eat them. Then he hears a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is when Peter says, no, Lord. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. So the Jewish laws, he was obeying them, but God was showing Peter that there's a different way to move forward now. And he said, I've never disobeyed those. But the voice again spoke, don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Because maybe Peter was hard-headed like we are. He needs to hear it a couple times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. I love that word. The word perplexed is kind of this sense of his mind was spinning. He was puzzled. He was confused. Not unlike, again, something you might feel or sense or I might feel or sense when I have a sense that God's telling me to do something that seems odd, out of my comfort zone. So Peter was perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, and it's interesting how God knows how to time things so they intersect, right? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling, there's that kind of same word, His mind was spinning. Over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. Again, interesting how God, what you might think or I might think is coincidence, it might be something that God totally planned the intersection. So you might have a conversation with somebody or bump into somebody or run into somebody that you think is coincidental, And it might be, but it also might be that God's arranged that exact moment for you to cross them and they're to cross here and you to have a conversation. Because it's like at that moment, at the same time, is kind of the the sense of this. So maybe you've already had those kind of interactions, or maybe you will, where you run into somebody, run into somebody, um, and you weren't expecting it. I mean... There was a situation in my life where I was having a difficult time forgiving someone. And I was, God was asking me to do something that would kind of express forgiveness to them. And I was essentially saying, no, to God, I don't want to do that. It's going to be used against me. It will hurt. I'll be vulnerable. And I can't remember what it was, but Kathy and I were going to something, some gathering, outdoor gathering on campus somewhere. And... And this person was there, 
like, okay, is that like God's, God's timing? Because I, I didn't want to cross paths with this person. Um, as a matter of fact, the food table was like over there where Sadie and Aaron and Jen were sitting. And I needed to get something, but this person was standing over there. Or they were maybe standing over there. So the shortest way would have been to go this way. I went this way. I went, oh, because I didn't want to cross paths with them, even though I knew God wanted me to cross paths with them. Kathy called me on it. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm getting food. She's like, why aren't you going that way? Well, because they're over there. Cause, so again, you don't know that when you cross paths with somebody, it may be the very thing God wants you to deal with, have a conversation with, whether it's a conversation about Jesus, whether it's a conversation about forgiveness. But the, you can't avoid that when you read the book of Acts of how many times at that moment, just at the same time. Meanwhile, and all of a sudden, two stories collide, and you're one of them. All right? So Peter goes down and says, okay, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to the house so that he can, send you this, so he can hear this message. So Peter invited them to stay for the night. The next day, he went with them back to Caesarea, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. All right? So that's Peter saying no. Now he's heading to Joppa. I mean, Caesarea, and let's go with this next slide. This is kind of the frame for the next part of the story. Peter says to Cornelius and his family, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. All right, context. Here's the rest of the story. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the home, let me just stop there because that phrase is loaded because Peter's entering the home of a pagan Gentile. Good religious Jews don't do that. So Peter was already crossing the thresholds of his comfort zone, and he was going into an area that he had been taught by tradition to some degree, you don't do that. You don't go there, you don't do that. So as Peter entered the home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. And Peter tells them, so Peter's talking to a large crowd of people in a house that he shouldn't be in two to three days prior. He would have never considered that. He would have never considered being where he was because that's, of course, that wouldn't have, wasn't part of agenda. It wouldn't have been a part of his comfort zone agenda. So who knows two or three days from now what God may ask you to do. You might be like, I, I would have never guessed I'd be in this situation or in this conversation or in this place. So Peter's in this situation that he never thought he'd be in. He says, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. It's a great starter, right? It's against our Jewish traditions that I shouldn't even be here. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Anybody in your life, circle, family, work, neighborhood, that you think this, you may never admit it this way or say it this way, 
they're impure, they're unclean. I, I don't think I should talk with them. I don't like the way they live their life, their lifestyle. Not that God confirms their lifestyle, but you, for some reason, think I shouldn't be around them. That may be the very person God sends you to. Somebody that you don't think would even be worthy of a conversation. I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house at the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. So Cornelius is rehearsing his vision. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send a messenger to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying at the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we've all been waiting for God to hear the message the Lord has given you. And that's when Peter then replies, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. Now, let me go back to this God-fearing. Like, okay, so every nation, let's just not think of America that we say sometimes incorrectly. It's not really a Christian nation, but there's a lot of churches in America. So in every nation, so China, India, Argentina, Russia, places where you think there's not many Christians there, but every nation, God accepts those who fear him and do what's right. Does that mean Christianity isn't exclusive? Does that mean all roads lead to God? I mean, that does push me out of my comfort zone, right? And if you've grown up with the Bible, it should push you out of a comfort zone. Does that mean that God can look at people in the middle of those countries who, are, who live miles and miles and miles from any kind of Christian church or talk about the tribes in Papua New Guinea who've never even heard the name of Jesus before. Does that mean them? Uh, like many other conundrum questions, a good place to look after the Bible is C.S. Lewis. So one of the things he said, and I, I, I read this first years ago, I'll, I'll just paraphrase him. He says, we know exactly what the Bible says. No one knows God except through Jesus. We just don't know exactly how that happens. And then he, he goes on to say, some may not know Jesus, but might be saved through Jesus, his name. And that might send you spinning too, but again, the, other, the only other conclusion is, bummer for those people born in Papua New Guinea, they're all going to hell. Or, everybody is saved through the name of Jesus. They may not know Jesus, but Jesus can know them. Jesus can pursue them. He's incredibly creative about how he gets people's attention. So, Again, it, it, it may throw you and it throws me sometimes for a loop, but it makes me trust Jesus more. Jesus, I'm going to trust you that just because somebody's born in a country that doesn't have many churches, they can still find you. Or Jesus, you can find them, right? Jesus can find anybody he wants to. Again, one way to God through Jesus, many ways Jesus connects to people. And again, I'm saying in spite of whatever world religion they have. And one of the things that Lewis says, and again, Lewis is not God, but he has some good insight. 
he said that sometimes God can use the best of the best of someone's born into religion and then he can get their attention through that. So again, there's I'm not saying that Mormonism or Buddhism or Muhammad or the those ways will not lead you to God if you're a devout in those religions. But God is is totally competent to find people, and Jesus is totally competent to find people, and that's what he does in this situation. He finds Cornelius. And then later in the book of Acts, Paul talks about God fearing Gentiles in Athens and in Thessalonica. So Jesus is the only way to know God. And it was his death is the only, through his death is the only way possible for anybody to be reconciled with God. But there's this category of God-fearing people who are devout that God will, they get the attention of God. The angel even says, God has noticed you, Cornelius. So when I, when I, when I think about that in those ways, it leads me to the point where all I can say is, I, I'm going to trust God. His ways aren't my ways. I believe that Jesus is the only way to know God, but I also believe the ways of God are higher than mine, and those are true at the same time. Yes, we need to send missionaries to other parts of the world, but it's not like because you're born in America, you have a greater chance of going to heaven than, you're, than if you're born in uh, rural India because God is just all people. And if somebody is seeking God, they will find him. And if somebody's seeking God, Jesus will find them and they will know God in ways that we can't totally understand. But again, I believe that Jesus is the only way to know God. But I also believe that God, the Bible tells us that God is, wants nobody to, go to, no, nobody to go to destruction. But we also know his ways aren't always. Those things are all true at the same time. But it's still true about Jesus. But Jesus can find people. And again, maybe there's people in your life that you would think are totally not religious or for that matter, they're of another religion, maybe there's a conversation at time where Jesus comes up. Don't ever, don't ever assume those things are just coincidental because Jesus may be a part of that. So then, but then he adds, after, right after Paul, Paul, Peter, what's his name? Peter. Right after Peter says this, he says this. This is the last one I'm going to use. This is the message of the good news. So he says, God, anybody who fears God and is devout and gets God's attention but then he goes clearly to the, what I'll call the Jesus peace. All right? This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of... Say that three-letter word with me. All. Jesus is Lord of all. He's not just Lord of those people who were born into Christian cultures and who grew up going to church, reading the Bible, and singing Sunday school songs. Jesus is Lord of all. Peter's making that really clear. And then he goes on to say this. You know what happened. He's telling this to, to uh, Cornelius. You know what happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching the message of baptism. Since Cornelius lived in Israel, he would have heard about these things. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he had did through Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us who God had chosen in advance to his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him when he rose, after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all. All right? 
Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all. The living and the dead. He's the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And then the, the, the story, the event concludes, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. All right? They used to call them Gentile dogs. All right? So they were amazed. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to these people being baptized? Now they have received the Holy Spirit as we did. So he gave orders to them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked them if he could stay with them for a few days. Big, big takeaway is simply this. Jesus should, is the center of everything in terms of how we know God. But put Jesus into your conversations. Um, not force it in there. Not like if you're going through the drive through at Chick-fil-A, you, you don't order a chicken sandwich and say, oh, by the way, Jesus. And this, I'm not saying that. But put it in there. I was listening to just a podcast this week, and it was, the guy I was talking was a guy named Patrick Lencioni. He's a business consultant, a kind of significant, a significant, uh, significant uh, breadth in terms of... But he said he consults with businesses, being you know, Fortune 500... And he's, he's also a committed follower of Jesus. He's Catholic, a committed follower of Jesus. And he said in this podcast, one of the things, one of the things I've realized is I'm, I need to stop being ashamed to talk about Jesus. He said our culture has kind of, has kind of uh, forced us a little bit. Uh, don't, don't talk about Jesus. That's a little bit too much. And he said, but I'm realizing I need to say it talk about him when it's correct more than I do. Like if somebody says, wow, you seem to have a really good marriage with your husband or with your wife. What's, what's the secret to that? Maybe the real answer is Jesus. I'm not saying you just, but the answer may not be, well, we communicate all the time. It might, maybe the real answer ought to be, well, we both are followers of Jesus and we find that helps us love each other in greater ways. But he just, and he said, in his conversation with his clients in the business world, he said he started talking about, when they asked him, well, how do you handle issues like trust or conflict in the workplace or, you know, letting go of an employee or having, having a bad financial report in your business? How do you handle all that? Because he was in consulting field how to handle it. And he said, I'm, just, I, I, I'm to the point now where I say naturally, Jesus is a part of my life. And he said, in all my conversations about that now, I've had like two people seem a little bit offended by that. But most people seem, oh, that's interesting. So his, the whole, his whole point was, and, I, and I, is, I've said this before, it's hard. And it's not hard to say the name Jesus. I could say, let's say it, one, two, three, Jesus, we'll all say it. But it's hard when you're in a conversation with somebody, and the natural answer would be, well, I'm a follower of Jesus because right away what happens? The awkward moment. That's way out of comfort zone. Not only for you, but you know you're putting someone else out of their comfort zone. So you feel their panic and their anxiety. But it's like, maybe, at least let's air that direction. Instead of airing on saying, I've said this before, I used to say to people, well, I'm religious, or I'm Christian, or I believe in God. That doesn't put most people out of their comfort zones. But if you say, well, 
One of the things my wife and I have realized in how we handle our, have parented our kids is we, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe what he's taught us about relationships. I mean, it's, that's like, oh, that sounds weird. Yeah, my friends who aren't Christian will think that's weird. But if it, it's an appropriate part of the conversation, go there. It's out of your comfort zone, and you know it's out of their comfort zone. But who's to say that they might be like, oh, that's interesting. It might spark other conversations. Peter wasn't apologizing at all to Cornelius about Jesus. He was religious. Cornelius was religious. God fearing. He gave money to the poor. It's thought that he probably even went to the synagogues with some of the Jews and sat in the back because Gentiles had to listen to the Old Test about the Old Testament God. But Peter then says, no, no, the real piece here is Jesus. And because of his death and his resurrection, there's now something available to you, a power available to you that you can, that you can be his follower too. And that's what's interesting too. And I'll, uh, in the Gospels, Jesus had, remember that Jesus has an interaction with a, with a Roman centurion who whose daughter is sick, and Jesus heals them. And Jesus even said, many will come, like from the, many of the outsiders will come to know God because of me. So we tend to think, well, here we have the church people and the Christian people. There are people in your life and in my life that we would say are the outsiders. They're not part of the Christian church culture. They don't even have the lingo, Right? I had a neighbor say to me one time, I was out doing some yard work, and I was sweating, and it was hot, and he said, well, what's going on? I said, well, this is all Adam's fault, and I was kind of referring to Adam and Eve, and he's the one that made this. We have to all have, and he goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was like, what do you mean? I, he said, Matt, you don't understand. I have no knowledge of the Bible, none. So I'm just, so he's an outsider to me, but maybe it's those people that have religious hunger, like Cornelius did, comes through Jesus. Maybe that person's in your life now. Maybe, you, maybe somebody comes to mind right now. Maybe somebody will in the next few days or the next few weeks. Or maybe like Peter, two or three days from now, you'll be invited into a conversation and you'll be like, I had no idea this was coming. It must have been a God-ordained intersection. You have no idea, all right? Let me pray. So God, I pray, I pray for each one of us, and I do pray... Um, that we would maybe reinterpret what we think are coincidences. Maybe they are, but maybe it's a predetermined intersection of us with another person in a specific conversation that you, Jesus, want to be the topic of the conversation at some point in the conversation. So I pray that we would look at those intersecting relational moments not simply as chance, but at least think about the possibility that this is you and at the very moment you knew this was these paths were going to cross so whether it's with friends neighbors family members or for that matter total strangers um, we want to be a part of advancing your kingdom jesus your kingdom of love and forgiveness and what peter even says peace with god because we believe it's true and we want to be part of those opportunities But would you give us the boldness and the courage to step out of our comfort zones and maybe into the panic zone. But that's, Jesus seems like where your Holy Spirit just loves to fill us in those moments. So as we look for those moments this week, just be our guide. Show us.
We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.